everyone, and welcome to another edition of the V Auto Podcast. I'm Lance Helgeson with V Auto, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Our topic today is five reasons it's time for variable management. And to help with this discussion, I've asked uh, a person at V Auto here who keeps a close eye on the market and even closer contact with dealers, Patrick James. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Uh, great to be here, Lance. Good to talk again. It's been a little while, so I'm I'm ready. I'm excited. Indeed. Now, I did not give a title uh, for you, Patrick, because I really don't know what your new title is with your new role. So can you give listeners a quick little bit on both, please? Well, I'm not sure yet either, Lance, so don't feel <laughs> bad. But um, I, I think what the company has asked me to do, you know, I spent a, uh, a number of years uh leading the, the Stockwave business uh, in uh, acquisition. And they've asked me to kind of increase my responsibilities and get more actively involved uh, with provision, profit time, and even a little conquest uh, on the new car side. But okay. uh, having been a former performance manager when I first joined the company, uh, this is uh, a very, it's a comfort zone for me, you know, to stay inside of that inventory management world. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. Cool. Well, congratulations. And let's let's maybe start our conversation by helping everybody understand this term variable management. So what is it? So I'm going to give you a story when I was back as a simpleton, as a PM out working with dealers. Um, you know, when we were full, fully focused in the velocity method of management, it was all about get the cars in, price them at what you thought was competitive in the market, and then you got into a regular discipline to continue to lower the prices until they disappeared. Yep. End of story. It was just a, uh, it, it was muscle memory. And, you know, as performance managers, we said, you know, I got to get in there. You got to look at those cars. You got to, you know, change prices every seven days or every five days. You pick it, you pick it a day, you know, and we work on it. Um you know, it's interesting, even at that time, when you think of um, just a metric like market day supply, there were some cars that you went, wow, um, maybe we don't need to price this one down as quickly because market day supply shows us that there's pretty high demand for this vehicle and uh, maybe we could hold out a little bit. And then, you know, what I think the company did is said, wait a minute, we got a lot of really smart data scientists <laughs> that can probably take this to the next level and realize that there are cars uh, that can be priced differently. And there are some cars that need to be priced to, to be gone day one and can't afford for that routine of every five or seven days for them to go away. So variable uh, management to me is there's a lot of variability in the market, right? And wow, we this just exploded through the whole pandemic and the shift in demand uh, and supply and I think, you know, it became real obvious to folks that uh, we can't peanut butter everything uh, inside of our inventory. And we really need to optimize each car and really look at its investment value and try to make as much money on each vehicle that we can. But we at the auto knew we needed to provide some insights um, that would give you a better picture of which are those cars that I should price down at the beginning and which cars could I actually hold on to and price a little bit higher? Imagine that a Viado guy saying, Hey, you need to raise your prices. You know, that never happened. Right. Well, now. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that makes sense to me. And you actually touched on what I think we're considering the first reason 
that the time is right for variable management. And that is that a variable market requires variable management. So you dive into that if you wouldn't mind, Patrick, what, what has become more variable and, and how does variable management help you deal with it? Yeah, I, I think the variable market was exaggerated by this whole demand and supply thing that we've been dealing with. And I'll, I'll put my wholesale hat on, you know, having been spending a lot of time in, in, in auction acquisition space um, uh, in the last four years, um, you know, there's always this projection of depreciation. And of course, we were in a appreciating market, which, you know, I've been at this gig for 30 years now, and no one's ever seen that before, used cars appreciating. So um, now we have a situation where depreciation is coming back, but it's varying by segment. So we got luxury cars that are taking kind of a hit. We've got more affordable vehicles uh, because of interest rates rising and and uh, you know just the overall affordability of uh, of new vehicle prices and the average transaction price of used cars uh, skyrocketing. That those vehicles uh, are still maybe you know holding their own, right? So mm -hmm. we've got to look at our whole portfolio of vehicles, and we never know what we're going to get, right? At least in trades, you know. We get what we get when they come in. So we've got to treat each one of those investments differently and come up with a strategy of how to maximize the gross profit uh, out of each of those units. So I think that has forced our hand um, with the way that depreciation has been so volatile uh, over the last couple of years and continues to be, even in this first half of the year, I, I you know, Jonathan Smoke said, hey, we're going to see a 68% a depreciation. And then in January, we saw a little bit of an uptick in some segments, actual appreciation again. We're like, yeah. where did that come from, right? So uh, this is going to be around for a while. And it's driven by that, you know, low supply and variable demand. Right? Yeah. So. Well, and, and variable supply, because the, the part of the uptick in January, I understand, was because there was some near new stuff that came off a of fleet. And that's what everybody was hungry for. And boom, that segment kind of moved the market as a whole to some degree i'll give you an example i was i was with a group uh during nada and they have several uh chrysler dodge jeep stores and you know uh stellantis now has some new car inventory and they're feeling the need to go you know fuel incentives again and this dealer was shocked at how quickly just a little bit of incentive pressure and more inventory in new cars all of a sudden change the entire complexion of his used car business at those stores. And, yeah. you know, within 30 to 60 days, he was like, I had to completely reevaluate, you know, my used car pricing strategy and what I had in those vehicles. It was that quick that he started to see a struggle going on. Uh, and, and I think uh, we're going to see that, you know, franchise by franchise as inventory comes back and uh, incentives start to come back into play as we try to chase, you know, what might be a little bit of a softening economy as well. Interesting. I think that touches on point number two, reason number two, why variable management makes sense now. And that's the return of margin compression. And I guess I've understood the dealer profitability is still pretty good, you know, not what it was uh, a year ago, perhaps, but way better you know than it might have been in eight 2018 or 19. so what what's what kind of margin compression is occurring and how are dealers feeling the effects patrick 
Well, I think a lot of it is back to that whole variability of demand, right? I think there are some vehicles that, um, you know, are starting to soften on the retail side. Some are kind of holding their own. And life's been pretty good for dealers, right? I mean, you know, I, I hear it all the time from guys that, gals that I talk to that, hey, you know, six, seven, eight pounders, you know, life yeah. is good in the used car market. I mean, we're, we, we can't do anything wrong. Um, and, and that's great again, when supply is, you know, much lower, uh, the situation that we've had and you've got no new cars to compete and it's a perfect landscape, you know, to, to kind of be able to accomplish that, but we're starting to see that shift. Right. And, um, that's where there are going to be some cars that still offer those profit opportunities, but there's going to be some cars that we need to price right on the money, uh, from day one. Or we're back into, you know, let's look at them every seven days and there's going to be a segment of your cars, right, that you're going to be doing the old, let's look at them every seven days and we go, wow, we still hold on to them for 60 days. They depreciated because we're back to a depreciating market. And all of a sudden, I'm back to really weak grosses like we're used to back in the day <laughs> on right. those cars. But yet I haven't adjusted to the cars that are in really high demand and I haven't asked the money that I deserve for those. So I, I don't offset, you know, the losses that I'm starting to take from the compression that's happening on those lower demand vehicles. And so, you know, we're, we're into a bit of a spiral and uh, we find ourselves back with saying nobody's making any money on the front end anymore. Well, I guess, and there we go to reason number three is that uh, in, in profit time GPS, those cars you just described are bronze vehicles. I understand that they have now become almost half of dealer inventories across the country. Uh, so what's going on there? And let's reiterate the point of what dealers should be doing about them. So, you know, a bronze car, you know, through the data science, a lot of it's driven by demand. A lot of it's also driven into what you put into the car, right? Yeah. Your cost yep. to market. Yep. And so, I think if we give the dealer a better view of what that car can really retail for, it's a lot easier for them to determine what to acquire it for. True. And so with the data science really putting you on the money, what it will take to sell that car and what price point it will sell at, I can back in you know, to a cost of market that will actually allow me to have a profit. And if I'm not too aggressive, it may not be a bronze car, right? I mean, yeah, it's still yeah. selling efforts that go on, right? When I'm mm -hmm. working a trade, I'm selling that customer what that car is worth, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I still have the ability to move that customer into what's realistic. And hopefully if I'm a really good seller, um, you know, I can acquire that car in a better position than the other guy who didn't sell their numbers so well, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but that bronze car, the most important thing is, is that we know what it is when we take it in. And I don't think that's anything we looked at before. If we had a pricing strategy, you know, I'm a velocity dealer. I price my cars at 95% price to market because I'm aggressive and I got my 17 turns and, you know, I'm rocking and rolling. Um, that bronze car comes in, it may not command 95% price to market. Right. <laughs> it may right. you may have to sell that car at 89% price to market. I mean, if if it's the cookie cutter car and there's lots of pressure and plenty of availability, right? So 
The key is I know that going in, and rather than hanging on to that car, which is going to depreciate because the bronze cars depreciate a lot faster than those platinum cars. We know that through our data. Then all of a sudden, I find myself in trouble. Uh, And that's going to be the losers. And can I get enough winners, you know, to offset that? The goal is, hey, let's not take those big losers, right? Let's get them in. We know what we have. We put them on the money. We sell the car. And then let's also be smart about those winners and everything raises, right? Well, and I think you've just segued us into the uh, fourth reason here that dealers uh, need variable management, and that's the trend of cheap selling their best cars, the the platinum cars. Tell us a little bit about that. So we have this cool little report that we built in provision for dealers that are on provision, and we dump their inventory into what it would look like if you know your inventory was categorized as platinum, gold, silver, bronze, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And every time we do this, we find out that they're asking all the money for the bronze cars. They're pricing those, you know, well over market, which we just hit on that. That's that's a a, a self fulfilling prophecy, right? <laughs> um, and then the platinum cars are priced really aggressively. Why? Well, they probably got in those well. Like what, one of the contributors to be in a platinum car is that you acquired the vehicle right. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, there's great demand for it too. So what they do is they go, hey, you know. I'm in this car, right? What do they do? They put it at 96% price to market because that's where I like to put my cars. And the next thing you know, you know, we find out that, hey, we could have been over market on that car based on the demand uh, situation that's going on with a platinum car. And we shouldn't have been, you know, uh, uh, hastily pricing that par- car down in the dirt as if it was a it was a bronze car because that's just the way we do things, right? But I'm sorry for interrupting, Patrick, yeah, but yeah, go I, I, I got to believe that isn't there a, every dealer, every used car manager has that sixth sense that says, wait a second, you know, I that one went so fast that maybe I, I could get that. Why isn't that realization that there's some markup pos- potential there sticking or, or people understanding it? Yeah, I think, um, again, we're, we're, we've been driven hard by turn, right? I mean, yeah. that was the yeah. metric that made us feel like we were accomplishing. And there's a lot of value in turn. And we, we talk about how that fuels my F&I department and, and that uh, fuels my parts and service. Uh, but this isn't a philosophy to say, hey, you just need to slow way slow down that turn. <laughs> the concept is let's turn those brown cars even faster, right? Because we're going to put them on the money. We're not going to let that drag down the whole portfolio. You mentioned earlier that if if today's you know uh, uh, inventory, fifty percent of them are bronze, you know that's going to put a lot of pressure on our turn if we're asking for all the money for those cars. Yeah. yeah. So let's move yeah. those cars. But it's you know it's all about averages, right? So we want to be able to make up the difference and get all the money that we want for the platinum cars. And, you know, for any listeners that are out there that haven't adopted or even looked at this whole what we call kind of price inversion concept, uh, have your performance manager run it because uh, it's kind of eye opening when you start to think about the way you've been doing it and the way you could be doing it. And we have stats now and proven analytics that says this works. Okay, so that's where we want to go. 
<laughs> well, that's our fifth reason, uh, and that's that the proof points. So what are some of the proof points that suggest that variable management, in fact, does the job we say it would? Yeah. So we, you know, we want to be able to show that, you know, this isn't just a theory, that this actually gets dealers the results uh, that they're looking for. And so we've been studying uh, our provision dealers um, and looking at their overall strategy, their front end grosses for used car department. Okay. Uh, and then we've compared that to our dealers who have gotten on to profit time GPS mm -hmm. and have also actually adhered uh, uh, diligently to our pricing recommendations. Okay. So let's just hit that real quick. I, yep. I got a story how I, I kind of, I, I look at, you know, we give you a pricing recommendation. Um, that doesn't mean the dealer still has to use it. Right. Right. But I kind of look at it this way. Provision is like, um, you know, going to home Depot and buying all the things that you need, throwing it in your truck and going home and saying, you know what, I got a bunch of stuff here and I'm going to put it together and I'm going to remodel my kitchen. I'm going to do it myself. You, right. You forgot the YouTube videos. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Profit time is going to Home Depot and saying, all right, I want this, 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 and that. It might even get, you know, a designer to help you, you know, so stuff kind of matches. And then saying, oh, by the way, give me a contractor that will go in and do all the work for me. All right. So give me the formula that's going to make it look the best and do it for me. So when we provide through this incredible data science, which last time I checked, I haven't met a lot of, you know, I haven't been in any showrooms or any dealerships where there are a lot of data scientists sitting around, you know, doing pricing uh, for used cars, we can provide that data science. If you will follow that data science and price the car according to our recommendations, when you do that, we have seen a 17% increase in used car department gross profit over our provision dealers who are still kind of doing the math in their head. They're using the metrics and they're coming up with their strategy. Uh, so it's the difference between do it yourself and do it for me. And that's pretty doggone exciting. If I'm a dealer and I have a lot of people who are touching cars and putting, you know, acquisition or, or excuse me, appraisal numbers on them and putting pricing numbers on them, I feel a little more confident if I've got a solution that says, listen, there is data science behind this. Let's go ahead and go with those numbers there and see how this all works out for us. And I would argue that we're gonna show you the results that you're looking for. Let me uh, make sure I understand. Everybody, so everybody's been making more money generally, no matter what you did, thanks to the, to the market. So yes. does, does that 17% account for that? So we looked at, we saw everybody get a lift, okay? okay. okay. We, we've okay. seen those provision dealers. I mean, there's, yeah. I said it earlier, you know, the gross profits that everybody's been enjoying, you know, has been uh, has been amazing. But what we saw with those profit time dealers is they not only got the lift in the total gross profit for the used car department. Uh, truth be told, we're seeing a nice little volume increase as well, which okay. I'm going to tie to the fact that they're doing a better job with our data science of acquiring cars. So everybody's been complaining about, hey, I don't have any cars. I'm not going to auction. Are you crazy? Those prices are nuts, right? So what do we do? You know, we just hold out for trades. Next thing you know, because supply is down, 
we start to see availability start to drop. And yeah, we've been enjoying these really nice, you know, average gross profits uh, that we haven't seen before. But the profit time dealers are actually seeing that total gross profit go up. And they're also seeing a volume increase, which I, I you know, we're going to do more study of this. And I'm excited to dig into this deeper. But I really believe it's because they know where to acquire those cars that most people are passing on. But they have the data to be able to make a smarter decision to get the car in and, and actually keep the volume moving well. And we know when volume goes up, uh, there's that icing on the cake again, right? F and yeah. I, parts yeah. and service. All that stuff starts to, to benefit from that as well. Well, that's a that's an optimistic uh, and hopeful forward-looking view for the year, Patrick. I'm, I, I appreciate you walking us through the five reasons that variable management makes sense for dealers now. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks, Lance. And thank you all for joining the podcast as well. Until next time, stay well. Thank you.